kids if they want to head over to the uh, children's church. We have an extra air conditioner over there now. We're just like stacking them up in that house. Look at all the short people trying to sneak out like, like they're kids. All right, so let me, uh, let me tell you about my week. I've had a wild week. We've had a team here from outside of Harrisburg renovating the bathrooms over at the Wissanoming campus. So we've been going pretty much... Uh, I, I've been with them pretty much 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. every day since, like, Tuesday. And then they kept working many days till 1 or 2 in the morning. In fact, they finished the project at 2 a.m. this morning. Uh, so Wissanoming has brand-new bathrooms. But, uh, yeah, you... Well, they're not here, but you, well, I'll tell them you clapped. Um, this morning I woke up, this week's been wild, man. I haven't been home much. I've been at church more than I've been at home. Um, I've been at Lowe's more than I've been at home. And this morning I got up and I was looking for my Bible, this one. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're looking for like your favorite Bible just that phrase, favorite Bible, I'm going to come back to that. You're looking for your Bible and you can't find it. And I'm like, oh, Jesus is going to be mad about this. I can't find my Bible, right? I looked everywhere. I looked in my bag. I looked in my office. I looked upstairs, downstairs. So I figured I must have left it at church or Wissanoming. I went there. It wasn't there. I was like, man, I can't find this Bible anywhere. Now, I thought to myself, well, I have like 10 Bibles Ten, you know, a bunch of different kinds. I have three Bibles, four Bibles just in this one translation. So I thought to myself, well, that stinks. I have a lot of memories in that Bible. I made a lot of notes in that Bible, but I'll just get, I'll just use one of my other Bibles. Maybe it'll turn up. Now, in a way, that's a first world problem. I'll just use one of my other Bibles. Um, you know, I have probably 10 Bibles, not to mention an app on my tablet, an app on my phone, you know, online Bibles on my computer, software. How many of you have a Bible on your phone or tablet or computer or something like that? Okay. And then, and then you got your paper Bibles, right? So I was, I, was, I was upset because I'm sentimental, but I wasn't upset because I couldn't get another Bible. I mean, this, this church alone probably has like 100 Bibles in the pews in front of us, right? It's, it's easy to come across. Now imagine you lived about 500 years ago, before the printing press was invented. Let's say you somehow miraculously got a Bible in the first place. It would be almost impossible to come by to have your own copy. It would have been handwritten by someone else. It would be super expensive to obtain. But let's say you had your own Bible and you lost it. And you knew that to get another Bible would cost you thousands of dollars. I mean, back then, there, there obviously weren't cars back then 500 years ago either. But back then, uh, to have a Bible would have been a, a luxury that only the wealthiest people could have. Mostly only like religious leaders. And if you lost it, it would be like buying a brand new car now. You know, like, like 20 grand or more. 
So if you had a Bible and you lost your Bible and you had to pay like 20 grand to get one, how many of you would be going at least a couple weeks without a Bible? I would. I mean, if I lost, if I wrapped my car and had to pay 20 grand, I'd be on the bus. So, so imagine that. Imagine that you're, you live in a time when Bibles are not easy to come by. Would you treat your Bible differently? Would you read it more often? Um, you know, we live probably in the age where the Word of God is more accessible to more people than it ever has been. I mean, not just... You know, for one thing, the ease of printing nowadays. I mean, we made our own little booklets for this Nehemiah series that we distributed to the church. We just printed the whole book of Nehemiah for free. You know, it cost us a little bit of paper and a little bit of ink, but it was simple. We reproduced the book of Nehemiah simply. If you have a tablet or a, a smartphone with a Bible on it, I mean, you, if you download the Bible Gateway app, you can have 100 translations on your phone. And it's free. And we live in the, the, the period of history where the Bible is the most accessible that it's ever been. And I can't, in my mind, imagine any way that it could be more accessible. I mean, having it download on your phone in under a minute is about as accessible as it can be. Unless they find a way to like download it straight into your brain and make you memorize it, which I would not recommend if that ever comes available. Just, you know. Don't, don't give anyone access to your brain. Don't let them download things into it. But I think the Bible's incredibly accessible, which is great. There's more people that read the Bible now than ever. But I wonder also at times if maybe we, because it's so accessible and because we've gotten so familiar with it, if we don't sometimes treat it nonchalantly and uh, treat it a little with a little bit of a cavalier attitude, uh, and here's, here's what I mean. Here's an example from my life. I have this devotional that I read every day. It's an A.W. Tozer devotional. There's like a little verse or two verses at the top, and then there's like five or six paragraphs of what A.W. Tozer says about that verse. Every day I catch myself skipping the verse because, well, I've read that before. I skip the Bible so I can see what Tozer has to say. Now, I know that that's wrong, and I always have to catch myself. I'll be halfway through the devotional, be like, oh, I need to read the passage. And I have to go back to the top of the page to find out what exactly, what scripture is he referencing. So in my life, that's an example of sometimes treating the Bible a little too nonchalantly. I skipped over the inspired and fallible word of God to get to the opinion of a man. Even a man that I love and trust and named my son after, I still... I catch myself every morning skipping the Bible. So I go back, I discipline myself, I go back, and I read it. Now, uh, one real quick piece of history, and then I want to get into Nehemiah 8 here. Um, if you're familiar with the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, in the 1500s and 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis uh, to a church door. It's essentially 95 objections he had to the Catholic Church. And he nailed it to the door, and that started the Protestant Reformation. Okay, a big schism in the church, and, and uh, I mean, really, our church has our roots go that, go that far back, because we're not Roman Catholic. Uh, the Protestant Reformation. Something preceded the Protestant Reformation that made it possible and, and kind of sparked it, 
And that was in 1440 when Gutenberg invented the printing press. I know, don't fall asleep on me, this is important, all right? When Gutenberg invented, not Steve Gutenberg, Johannes Gutenberg invented this printing press, and he started printing Bibles. And so it used to be that the Bible is only accessible to religious scholars, and if you wanted to hear the Bible, you had to go to church, and you only heard it one day a week. So if you missed church because you were going to the beach, you just didn't hear the Bible that week. And uh, so people would come just to hear the Bible because they knew that was their only chance to hear the Bible that week. And because in a, in a lot of ways, the people couldn't read anyway. They wouldn't be able to read the Bible if they wanted to, so they had to trust the interpretation of the priest. So they could not double-check the priest. They could not double-check teachers. They could not test anyone. You had to trust that what he was saying was right because, number one, he's the only one that can read. Number two, he's the only one that has a copy. So uh, when about so Gutenberg invents the printing press in 1440. He starts printing Bibles out, just cranking them out. And it only takes about 85 years before all of a sudden the Bible makes its, its way around Europe and people start saying, hey, the stuff in here doesn't match up with what we do at church. And essentially there's a little bit of a revolt. And that's where the Protestant Reformation comes from. But if it hadn't been for the accessibility of the Bible, there would not have been a Protestant Reformation, I don't think. You got that? Okay, that should be relatively simple. All right, I'll leave, I'll leave Gutenberg out of the rest of the sermon, all right? Now, at True Vine, we have five values, the first of which is the living and active Word of God. We value the Bible, okay? We don't just think it's good. We think it's essential. You know, we, we, it's more than important. It's absolutely necessary. We believe that it's infallible in its original manuscripts, meaning that when, when Paul and the rest of the writers of the Bible put pen to paper, they were carried about by the Holy Spirit, and they were writing God's words through man's hands, that it's infallible, that the Bible does not affirm anything that is untrue or teach anything that is untrue, that it's inspired by God. It's not just the writing of some man, but that it's inspired by God, that the writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Truvine, you know, we believe that, and we require all of our leaders to at least agree on that. Not everybody that walks through our doors believes that, but all of our leadership does. So I want to um, show you what happens in Nehemiah 8. I told you last week that they've already finished rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, and now Nehemiah is, re, is kind of re, reforming or revitalizing the people of the city. He's instituting some practices, some religious practices, that is going to bring about revival in the city. So I'm going to read uh, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. If you wouldn't mind, I know we we a little jumping jacks today. If you wouldn't mind standing with me one more time. Uh, I'm going to read this for us. I think you'll understand why about halfway through. All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood 
Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Makilja, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all people, for he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. All right, thank you very much. You can have a seat. Uh, if you could go to the first slide for me, Nate, back up a little bit. Now, okay, so the, the, the wall has been built. Jerusalem now has a wall that's functioning, and other than maybe hanging some doors on it, they're good to go. So the, they get the book of the law out. Now, the book of the law is what Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was their Bible at that time because obviously Nehemiah hadn't been written because they were living it. The other prophets were either, you know, had just been written or being written or about to be written. So all they had were what we call the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. That's what they had. And they decided to dust it off and read it publicly. Now, I asked Dan this morning to read Genesis 1 uh, out loud for us. It was 31 verses, I think. Dan did an excellent job, and I knew he would, uh, in typical Dan fashion, just you know, giggling the whole time. And he read Genesis 1, and I asked you to stand. The reason I did that is because I wanted us to just get a, a tiny taste of what they were doing on these days. Now, it says that they read from early morning until midday. They probably stood for five or six hours while Ezra just started. I assume he started in Genesis 1, right where I had Dan read, and he just read through. Now, I know that in 2015, if you said, hey, today at church we're going to just stand for five and six five and six hours and read the Bible, that would be a great way to make sure no one shows up. But in Nehemiah's day, they did not have their own Bibles. They could not hear the word of God whenever they wanted. They could not turn on TBN or listen to a podcast or anything like that. And Jerusalem was in such a mess, they didn't even really have a functioning like, worship system. So when they cracked open God's word, people wanted to hear it because they had not been able to hear it very often. A lot of what they knew was just what they remembered, which probably meant a lot of people were wrong about some stuff. And we'll get to this next week, but it says that when he read it, the people just started to weep because it had been so long since they'd heard it and they, they realized how their lives were out of order from scripture so they were willing to stand for five or six hours to hear the Bible, to hear the, the, the law of Moses read to them. Genesis, Exodus, even Leviticus, even Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
You know, this church right here, this campus that we're at, started, if some of you will recall this, as a Bible study in Deuteronomy that met in Shay's house and my house. We said, hey, we're going we're gonna to start a church. Why not start it in Deuteronomy? And you know, when I was praying about whether we should start True Vine Tyson Ave, I, was at, I fasted for a week and I asked the Lord to show me somewhere from Scripture. And the passage he showed me of all places was in Leviticus 19. That's the same chapter that says not to mix two kinds of fabric and not to get tattoos for the dead and all sorts of stuff. Leviticus 19 is usually the joke people use about the most boring chapter in the Bible because it's just a bunch of random laws and rules. But to this date, I mean, so far God has spoken through Leviticus and Deuteronomy to get this church up and running and off the ground. There's a lot to those books. So they read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, standing probably in the sun for five or six hours. And let's look at the way that they responded when it was read, uh, first of all, it says right here in verse 3 at the bottom, it says, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Oh, man, what I wouldn't give to have everybody pay attention. What I wouldn't give to have everyone attentive. I want to tell you a secret. Don't tell anyone. Scrub this from the recording. All right, every, we have staff meeting on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday we have a staff meeting. Sometimes, if there's an important meeting where we need to get a lot done, I'll text the staff and say, hey, anybody want anything to drink from Wawa? And those greedy buggers take me up on it every time. What they don't know, or some of them do know, is that when I get those drinks from Wawa, I pay an extra dollar to have an energy boost added to every single one so that they'll pay attention during these meetings. I basically trick them into it. I learned it from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, where they take the donuts and they put the, the mutagen in, in a f ice cube and put it in the donuts and Toka and Razar eat them. You guys know, you know what I'm talking about. So I, I drug our staff during staff meetings with energy shots to keep them attentive. I've thought about doing that here. It, it honestly is part of why we serve coffee, uh, to keep everybody awake. But, okay, so now that my therapy is over, uh, they were attentive to the book of the law. Go on to the next slide. And this is what it says. Ezra opens the book in the sight of the people. He was standing above the people, so kind of on a stage in a pulpit like we have behind the screen, and when he opened the book, all right, now he wouldn't have been opening a book like this. He probably would have been opening a scroll, but nonetheless, just to, you, know, you can picture it. When he opened it, they all stood up. Now, I don't know if Ezra said, please stand or not. doesn't say that he said that. All I know is that they stood, and they stood for five or six hours. And then they don't just stop at that. Because I can stand for five or six hours. By hour four, I'm like this. You know, I'm stretching out, bending my legs. Um, but it says 
Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. So not only do they stand probably at their own initiative, but when he's, when he's praying, they, they have their hands lifted. All right, they're saying, Amen, Amen, which means, I agree, I agree. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This reminds me of football camp. All right, up, arms up, down, up, up, arms up, down. Like this, this is a workout, it sounds like. I'm not going to get my face down on the ground because I'll never get up. I'm tired. But they stand when the book of the law is opened. They lift up their hands in worship and, and shout, Amen, Amen. And then they bow low and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know what most churches do during church at any point, at any given point when God is doing something, we have one posture. Sitting. I mean, most of our discipleship happens on our butt. Bible's being read, we're sitting. We're praying and sitting. We're worshiping and sitting. We're singing and sitting. We're waiting and sitting. Um... There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And I don't want to create our own little religious rules about you have to stand during this and kneel during that. Uh, I'm not, I don't think anyone actually really likes that. But I have two questions that I'm going to ask you, and I, and I want feedback on this. When I read this, it seems to me like they did all of this at their own initiative, that they weren't coached through this, that they chose to do this, that this was their authentic, heartfelt response to what they are observing. So here's my first question. What caused them to respond that way? I mean, what was going on internally that caused them, when, when Ezra opened the Bible, what caused them to stand up? You got, you got something for me? Respect. Okay, that's a good one. Respect for God's word. What else? Desperation. Okay. They were desperate. They hadn't heard it in a while, and their city was... I mean, their faith was real right now, because they could have been attacked and killed at any given moment. What else? Did you? Gratitude. Gratitude. Right, because their city had just been rebuilt. Joy? Right. Susan said that if you think of like during a football game when the teams come out, people jump up and stand up. I've done it. Um, and, they, and they hoot and holler. Uh, it just kind of comes out of them naturally. There's a video on YouTube of me screaming like a little girl when Steve Carell came out uh, at an uh, office party for the TV show The Office. Kate and Brett and I went, drove to Scranton and Steve Carell was there and I screamed like a little child. It's on YouTube at 60,000 views. My most embarrassing and proud moment all at once. Right, and I didn't have to, co no one had to tell me, Jim, stand up out of respect. I jumped up and I was like, yeah. All right. What else? What was going on in them that caused them to respond this way? I think, I think everything we've had said so far is correct. And I'm not looking for a certain answer. I just 
I want us to understand. Fear of God, Jason said. I lo- that's right on. Okay. To get a view. Is that what you're saying? Like They want to see, right, because they're seeing scripture, which many of them may not have ever physically seen that scroll, or at least not in a long time. All right, anyone else? I think everything you said was right on. I mean, it doesn't have to be one answer because there was thousands of them. They could have all had their own reasons. I bet there was a couple people that stood up because everyone else was standing up. And they didn't want to look silly. But here's why I asked that question. I don't think we would help anyone if we made a rule at church. Hey, every time we read the Bible, we're going to stand up. I don't think it would help anyone if we made a rule at church that when we're singing, we stand. When we're praying, we kneel. I don't think that really helps anyone. But I think would actually be better is if we found out what happens internally to cause people to do that at their own initiative, and can we work on that? Can we work on things like respecting God's word, fearing God, having excitement about the Bible? I'll tell you what. If you could only read this like 12 times a year, I bet you would start looking forward to that one day a month where you got it. You know, if you could only read the Bible on the first of the month, I bet by the 29th or 30th of the preceding month, you would start to to ramp up and hunger and like two more days till I can read the Bible. Because it's so accessible, I think we've lost some of that hunger and we take it for granted. All right, so I, I, I love what you guys said. I love your responses. I think that was what was going on inside of them. All right, next question. This question is about us. What do you think prevents us from responding like that? What prevents us from doing that? You can speak for yourself. Don't speak for the person sitting next to you or, huh? Comfort? Well, elaborate on that, Shay. Okay. Physical comfort. Okay, physical comfort. All right, what else? What prevents you from responding like this, Susan? Laziness. Okay. What else? Go ahead, Rachel. Sorry, you don't want to be perceived as weird? Yeah, okay. Right, because standing up, if no one else is standing up, might look a little funny and Getting your face on the ground if no one else is doing that might look a little funny, right? Go ahead, Ruby. Forget it? Okay, all right. We'll come back if we need to. Anyone else? Any other reasons that prevent us from responding like they did? Complacency. I agree. Did you have no shit? The heat? Yeah. Yes, yes. I would say that's probably accurate. The heat. But when it's cold, then you need movement to stay warm. So we'll try this in December. Did you have something, Ruby? Go ahead. Lack of excitement. Lack of zeal. All right. Now, I mean, I'm not going to beat you up, but we all know those aren't good reasons, right? We all know that we don't want to be known for lack of zeal, complacency, 
love for physical comfort, laziness, all that stuff. We don't want to be known for those things. Um, so, we're not making a rule, all right? We are not making rules about when we stand and when we sit down. But I am going to challenge you to find ways to increase in your love for Scripture. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what God's doing in my life right now. All right. For a whole year, I tried to wean myself from a paper Bible, all right, an actual printed Bible. I didn't get rid of them, I just didn't use them because I thought I didn't use them. I thought, you know what, I have to take my tablet everywhere anyway. If I underline something on my tablet, it transfers to my phone and my computer. If I make a note on my tablet, it transfers to all of that. It's gonna be so much easier. And so I did a one-year experiment where I said, I'm going to do all my Bible reading from a tablet. And I did the Bible read. I didn't read through the whole Bible, but I read through enough of it. And man, I'm just telling you my experience and your, your experience may be different. At the end of that year, my attitude towards Scripture was so cold. I had to force myself to read the Bible. About a month ago, you may have noticed this because I started preaching out of this again. About a month ago, I picked up, this is my favorite Bible. It's a little NASB thin line. I picked this back up the first day. Oh, it's like it came back to life for me. Now, I don't think that a paper Bible is more spiritual. My mother-in-law does think that. I don't think a paper Bible is more spiritual. I'm just saying that worked for me. So you need to find out what works for you. You might be so busy that carrying a paper Bible around is not going to work for you. Then you need to put one on your phone or your tablet. Or you might need to listen to it while you drive. Some people learn better from hearing than from reading. You might need to find a Bible that can be read to you while you drive or run. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. But, you know, whatever you do... Um, while you eat chicken wings or you know, lay in bed at night or whatever. All I'm saying is find a way that ignites you to love Scripture. I love to just take this Bible with a pencil and underline and circle and underline and circle things that stand out to me. I find themes, I find patterns, I find uh, stuff that for some reason didn't jump out to me the last time. And then once I mark a Bible up, I get a new one and start over again. And, and it would also be great, I recommend, a, some sort of Bible reading plan so that you're reading through the entire Bible at least, at least every couple years, if not every year. I don't read through the whole Bible in a year. I probably read through the whole Bible every 18 months-ish. Um, but... And don't just read your favorite passage over and over and over. Read those books that are hard to pronounce. You know? Don't just read, yeah, Habakkuk. Don't just read Acts and John. And then the short prophets from the Old Testament so you feel better. And Joel, you know, Joel so you're like, oh, I got my Old Testament for the month. You know, have a little bit of a system or structure so that you're reading through the whole scripture. 
in the last month, just for me, having this has really energized me and reinvigorated me to love God's word to the point where even when I'm busy, I'm, I'll make time to even just get a little bit of time in. So I'm going to ask, I, I just want to actually ask you to pray that God would reinvigorate or invigorate for the first time in you a love for his word, all right? So would you mind, I'm just going to ask us to pray, uh, to respond in prayer. Oh, you know what, before we do that, I have a a six-minute video that we're going to show. Uh, This is a missionary named John Betchel uh, with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He was a missionary to to, uh, China about, well, probably in the... 60s and 70s. So we're just going to watch this real quick. Communism came into China in 1949. The church was shut down. Christians were shot, re-educated, sent to the country. It was all over for Christianity. The bamboo curtain was impenetrable. The only way you could go was in, but you couldn't come back out. And none of the people would come out and tell us anything. Many times in the rivers in the, uh, that came down to the Pearl River into Hong Kong, bodies would come floating with their hands tied behind their back and their heads cut off. Terrible things happened in China, but we never knew what was going on. I thought, you know, maybe the communists are right. Maybe they have wiped out Christianity. Finally, the bamboo curtain opened. And all the Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries who had been there, myself included, couldn't wait to see what was going on. I walked down the streets of Guilin, and I saw this one woman coming down the street. Everybody wore blue and gray, but her blue looked bluer and better pressed than anybody else's. So I went up to her, knowing full well you can't buy perfume in China, and I said to her in Cantonese, where can I buy some perfume? Oh, she took a deep snort. Oh, if I could just smell some perfume again. I haven't smelled it for 30 years. You can't buy perfume in communist China. What's the matter with you? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll introduce me to a Christian, I don't care how old the Christian is, I will give you all the perfume that my wife has up in her room. Hoping to goodness that my wife had some perfume. The woman said, I know a Christian come to the corner of this and that street at 10 o'clock tonight when all the lights are out and I'll introduce you to her. That night, my wife and I went down the streets of Hong, of Guilin, uh, which were dark. We came to the corner and here she was, follow me. We followed her, we went down to this place, up the back stairs, down the hall, into this little room with a little candle burning. And we're sitting there on a wooden bed waiting to meet this Christian. And I said, what is this Christian lady's story? She said, oh, it's a terrible story. She said, this poor young girl at 32 years of age was put on trial after her mother and father, very wealthy people, were killed. And she was asked by the judge with all of us sitting there. She was naked. She had a dunce cap on her head, which was how they did things in those days. And she was asked the question, will you follow Jesus? If you say you will not and you deny him, I'll let you go right now. You'll be a free woman. And all of us, there were about 5,000 of us in the stadium were thinking, please, please, just say you don't believe in Jesus for one minute and then ask Jesus to forgive you. That's all you got to do and you're free. And this young woman you're going to meet in a minute said, I will follow Jesus 
until the end of my life. I cannot deny him. I'm sorry. We all braced ourselves for what the judge would say, and sure enough, the judge got angry and said, you will clean a sewer for the rest of your life. In China, the sewers are open, and you have to take a rake and just keep them moving. And that was her job. This woman told us she's been doing this for 30 years. And her father owned this house, but she lived in a little room downstairs, which we let her live in. And I hear the patter, patter, patter up the stairs. And I hear quick steps down the hall. The door bursts open. And here's this little woman, 60-some years old, a smile as big as the world on her face. And she looked at us and she said, which one of you is a Christian? And I said, I am. She said, I'd like a Bible. It's the only thing you can't have in China. So I said, well, if there's one in this town, I'll have a tea in the morning. I went back to the hotel. This was about midnight. I went in and there was a Hong Kong Chinese pastor checking into our hotel. I walked over and I said, hi, Ronald, how are you? Ronald said, don't talk to me. I don't want anybody to know you know me. I said, Ronald, I want to talk to you till you give me a Chinese Bible. He said, I have six of them. I said, well, that's easy. Just give me one. He said, I can't. The customs officer got very angry and wrote in big letters in my Bible, when this man leaves China, he has to have six Bibles. So I have to give him when I leave. I said, let me have them overnight. He gave me the six Bibles. I took them upstairs to my wife. And between the two of us, we kept, cut Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out of one Bible. And we went through the Old and New Testament, and we cut one full Bible out of those six Bibles. Next morning, I gave the six Bibles back to Ronald. My wife had made a cover with a t-shirt for the one Bible that we had cut out. We took it over to the woman with all the clothes we didn't need, about four years of salary to give to her. We burst into her room where she was sitting on her bed praying. We gave her the clothes, beautiful clothes, my best clothes. She said, put them over there, almost like she was angry. So then I reached in my pocket and I took out the equivalent of four years salary of her money. And I said, here's some money to help you. Just put it in the drawer. I was getting discouraged. Then I took out the t-shirt covered, cut up copy of God's word. She lit up. She grabbed the Bible, took it to her breast, and said, Bo boy, bo boy, precious, precious. You will never understand until you've been through what I've been through. Those things over there, those clothes and material things, they mean nothing. The money in that drawer over there, nothing. It's all right here in God's Word. You have given me the greatest gift you could give me. So here's how I want to wrap up today. I want to ask you to pray that God would give us, you and us, a love for his word, an honor for his word that matches what we just watched in this video, but also what we see in, in Nehemiah 8, where they loved God's word, they were excited about it, they revered it, and they honored it. So would a couple of you pray out just for yourself, uh, and then we'll close. Father, increase our zeal for your word. 
Increase our love for it, Lord. And I ask that you would increase our hunger for your word, that every moment that we spend in it would be beneficial, but then it would also make us hungry for more, Lord. And I pray that you would give us opportunities and help us take the opportunities to spend extended periods of time reading. Uh, to not settle for crumbs here and there. And Lord, as Susan prayed, got Bibles in every part of our house, would you put Bibles in our hearts, Lord? Would you help us to meditate on Scripture, to fill our minds and our hearts with Scripture, Lord, so that it comes out of our mouths, not to attack or tear down, Lord, but to encourage and edify others? That the decisions we make, that the, the way we function as a church and the way we love our neighbors would all be informed and shaped with your word, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love your word. I pray that you would help us to absorb it. I pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank